Section four of Yet Again by Max Beerbohm. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Poro Unum. By graceful custom, every newcomer to a throne in Europe pays a round of visits to his neighbors. When King Edward came back from seeing the Tsar at Reval, his subjects seemed to think that he had fulfilled the last demand on his civility. That was in the days of Abdul Hamid. None of us wished for the king to visit Turkey. Turkey is not internationally powerful, nor had Abdul any Guelph blood in him, and so we were able to assert, by ignoring her and him, our humanitarianism and passion for liberty quite safely, quite politely. Now that Abdul is deposed from his infernal throne, it is taken as a matter of course that the king will visit his successor. Well, let his majesty betake himself and his tact and a full cargo of Victorian orders to Constantinople by all means. But on the way, nestling in the very heart of Europe, perfectly civilized and strifeless, jeweled all over with freedom, is another country which he has not visited since his accession, a country which, oddly enough, none but I seems to expect him to visit. Why, I ask, should Switzerland be cold-shouldered? I admit she does not appeal to the romantic imagination. She never has, as a nation, counted for anything, physically soaring out of sight morally and intellectually she has lain low and said nothing not one idea not one deed has she to her credit all that is worth knowing of her history can be set forth without compression in a few lines of a guide-book her one and only hero william tell never as we now know existed he has proved to be a myth. Also, he is the one and only myth that Switzerland has managed to create. He exhausted her poor little stock of imagination. Living as pygmies among the blind excesses of nature, living on sufferance there, animalculae, her sons have been overwhelmed from the outset, have had no chance whatsoever of development. Even if they had a language of their own, they would have no literature. Not one painter, not one musician have they produced. Only couriers, guides, waiters, and other parasites. A smug, tame, sly, dull, mercenary little race of men, they exist by and for the alien tripper. They are the fine flower of commercial civilization, the shining symbol of international comity, and have never done anybody any harm. I cannot imagine why the king should not give them the incomparable advertisement of a visit. Not that they are badly in need of advertisement over here. Every year the British trippers to Switzerland vastly outnumber the British trippers to any other land a fact which shows how little the romantic imagination tells as against cheapness and comfort of hotels and the notion that a heart strained by climbing is good for the health 
and this fact does but make our sovereign's abstention the more remarkable. Switzerland is not smart, but a king is not the figurehead merely of his entourage. He is the whole nation's figurehead. Switzerland alone among nations is a British institution, and King Edward ought not to snub her. That we expect him to do so without protest from us seems to me a rather grave symptom of flunkeyism. Fiercely resenting that imputation, you proceed to raise difficulties. Who, you say, would there be to receive the king in the name of the Swiss Republic? I promptly answer, the President of the Swiss Republic. You did not expect that. You had quite forgotten, if indeed you had ever heard, that there was any such person. For the life of you, you could not tell me his name. Well, his name is not very widely known, even in Switzerland. A friend of mine, who was there lately, tells me that he asked one Swiss after another what was the name of the President, and that they all sought refuge in polite astonishment at such ignorance, and, when pressed for the name, could only screw up their eyes, snap their fingers, and feverishly declare that they had it on the tips of their tongues. This is just as it should be. In an ideal republic, there should be no one whose name might not, at any moment, slip the memory of his fellows. Some sort of foreman there must be, for the state's convenience. But the more obscure he be, and the more automatic, the better for the ideal of equality. In the republics of France and of America, the president is of an extrusive kind. His office has been fashioned on the monarchic model, and his whole position is anomalous. He has to try to be ornamental as well as useful, a symbol as well as a pivot. Obviously, it is absurd to single out one man as a symbol of the equality of all men, and not less unreasonable is it to expect him to be inspiring as a patriotic symbol, an incarnation of his country, only an anointed king, whose forefathers were kings too, can be that. In France, where kings have been, no one can get up the slightest pretense of emotion for the president. If the president is modest and unassuming, and doesn't, as did the late Monsieur Fauret, make an ass of himself by behaving in a kingly manner, he is safe from ridicule. The amused smiles that follow him are not unkind. But in no case is anyone proud of him. Never does anyone see France in him. In America, where no kings have been, they are able to make a pretense of enthusiasm for a president, but no real chord of national sentiment is touched by this eminent gentleman, who has no past or future eminence, who has been shoved forward for a space, and will anon be sent packing in favor of some other upstart. Let some princeling of a foreign state set foot in America, and, lo, all the inhabitants are tumbling over one another in their desire for a glimpse of him. 
a desire which is the natural and pathetic outcome of their unsatisfied inner craving for a dynasty of their own human nature being what it is a monarchy is the best expedient all the world over but given a republic let the thing be done thoroughly let the appearance be well kept up as in switzerland let the president be as there a furtive creature and insignificant not merely coming no man knows whence nor merely passing no man knows whither but existing no man knows where and existing not even as a name except on the tip of the tongue national dignity as well as the republican ideal is served better thus besides it is less trying for the president and yet stronger than all my sense of what is right and proper is the desire in me that the president of the swiss republic should just for once be dragged forth blinking from his burrow in bern bern is the capital of switzerland into the glare of european publicity and be driven in a landau to the railway station there to await the king of england and kiss him on either cheek when he dismounts from the train while the massed orchestras of all the principal hotels play our national anthem and also a swiss national anthem hastily composed for the occasion i want him to entertain the king that evening at a great banquet whereat his majesty will have the president's wife on his right hand and will make a brief but graceful speech in the swiss language english french german and italian consecutively referring to the glorious and never-to-be-forgotten name of william tell embarrassed silence and to the vast number of his subjects who annually visit switzerland loud and prolonged cheers next morning let there be a review of twenty thousand waiters from all parts of the country all the head waiters receiving a modest grade of the victorian order later in the day let the king visit the national gallery a hall filled with picture postcards of the most picturesque spots in switzerland and thence let him be conducted to the principal factory of cuckoo clocks and after some of the clocks have been made to strike be heard remarking to the president with a hearty laugh that the sound is like that of a cuckoo how the second day of the visit would be filled up i do not know i leave that to the president's discretion before his departure to the frontier the king will of course be made honorary manager of one of the principal hotels i hope to be present in bern during these great days in the president's life but if anything happened to keep me here i shall content myself with the prospect of his visit to london i long to see him and his wife driving past with the proper escort of lifeguards under a vista of quadrilingual mottoes bowing acknowledgments to us i wonder what he is like i picture him as a small spare man 
with a slightly grizzled beard and pleasant, though shifty, eyes behind a pince-nez. I picture him frock-coated, bowler-hatted, and evidently nervous. His wife I cannot at all imagine. End of section 4